You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 14th of August 2019 on Monocle 24. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Andrew Muller. Coming up today... The Crown actually, for all that they say, will have to intervene because this is really breaking the fundamentals of Parliament. If they keep saying this has to stay away from the Queen, at some point she will be blamed for failing to intervene at that particular point in time, which is not to intervene on the side of Boris Johnson, but to intervene on the side of her Parliament. Taking a deeper look at the latest Brexit deadlock and the idea of prorogation, along with some of the day's other top stories, are my guests Joy Ladico, columnist with the Evening Standard, and Robert Fox, defence editor at the same newspaper. We'll also get some of the day's headlines and the latest opinion from our editors. Bauhaus-inspired has become the moniker that everyone from Swiss watchmakers to LA-based fashion designers are using to flog products. Monocle's design editor tells us why Bauhaus, the German art and design movement, has inspired a century of imitators. I'm Andrew Muller. Monocle's House View starts now. Welcome to the show. I am joined today by Joy Ladico and Robert Fox. Uh, we will start with Brexit, though British listeners by now may prefer to spend the next few minutes smacking themselves in the forehead with a soup ladle. There are, in theory, 78 days until the blessed event occurs, although concrete ideas as to how this is actually going to work still seem somewhat thin on the ground. Former Chancellor of the Exchequer Philip Hammond has floated the interesting theory that it would be a no-deal Brexit, which would be the real betrayal of the 2008. 16 referendum result, a position diametrically contrary to that of the Brexiter headbangers, among whom may number the Prime Minister. Joy, is Philip Hammond trying to be funny here? Um, now, the Philip Hammond I have known and met always has a little bit of a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> um, and I think he might be a little bit more entertaining than we uh, like to think. Oh, yeah. um, he is... Uh, um, he is right to say that nobody voted for no deal. That was not on the cards other than in some of the most extreme literature in the two Leave campaigns. Uh, is he trying to be funny? He's actually trying to be quite clever because one of the statements he put out was to say that he had spoken to Boris Johnson and Boris had assured him that they really, 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 really didn't want no deal. But it was other parties within, other people within the government who were pushing for it. Now, that's a classic example of our, our new Prime Minister basically speaking to one side and then speaking to the other. Some would say that once you're Prime Minister, you are in charge of the government and therefore what other people are doing, in fact, is following your orders. Um, Robert, Joy and indeed Philip Hammond are completely correct in that, that no deal was not mentioned at all during the campaign. In fact, there's any amount of, of actual video and audio of people who now claim to be no deal ultras saying things like, you know, only a maniac would want to leave the common market or the customs union uh, and so forth. Was there a particular point uh, at which this debate became basically divided between revoke and remain and absolutely WTO no deal, we must never speak to Europe again. I think it's post the 2017 general election because that's when things really changed. Uh, the party that uh, Boris Johnson purports to lead now is the Conservative Party in name only. It is actually a populist uh, Remain nativist party with, um, let's call a spade a spade, neo fascist overtones. It's so similar to what went on in the 20s and 30s. Don't get hung up on Nazis. Obviously, it's very, very similar 
to Mussolini's fascism, down to even the way the media w w were used and the tricks in the trade. And as Ferdy Mann, a former uh, policymaker and speechwriter for Mrs. Thatcher, pointed out only recently in the London Review of Books, Mussolini, even more than Hitler, played the constitutional game. He was elected to power and then not slowly, but very steadily, stripped all that uh, away. Now we go into deep waters, Sherlock Holmes. Um, the, where Ham, Ham and Sharp, I, I agree with, 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 with uh, Joy. I've met him. I, I was on the defence brief with him. Gosh, he was the sharpest defence secretary because he could read the books, which nobody else could before or, or, or since. And he is quite witty in a very dry, <laughs> graveyard way. What he's pointing at is, come on, Boris, try me. Are you really going to go for a prorogation? And if you prorogue Parliament, sine die, so that you just stop it, which we have seen in Australia, and we have, uh, we've seen a version of it in Australia, and we've seen it twice in Canada recently... We know what that's about. You cannot stop Parliament, and this is what Hammond is pointing to, because you think you're going to be defeated. And that's why, whether it's in her own person, but in the office, the Crown actually, for all that they say, will have to intervene, because this is really breaking the fundamentals of, of, of Parliament. And the way the Remain populist party is set up now is that we are the people, you are the Parliament. Come in, King Pym in 1640 and the arrest of the <laughs> five members and, 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 and the 11 years tyranny of Charles I. But the two Commonwealth examples you've just pointed out, Australia and Canada, I mean, Gough Whitlam in particular, the Queen has never been forgiven for allowing that to exactly. happen for that particular intervention. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the Queen, I think, was at pains just not to answer the telephone that week. Well, and probably, Which I don't think is an option she has here. Well, no, well, perhaps and perhaps not. But if they keep saying this has to stay away from the Queen, at some point she will be blamed for failing to intervene at that particular point in time, which is not to intervene on the side of Boris Johnson, but to intervene on the side of her parliament, which her, you constitution. Know, her constitution, that very delicate balance between the monarchy actually supporting um, a, a parliamentary uh, democracy. She was quoted as blaming, saying, what a rotten lot <laughs> uh, my team is, <laughs> the politicians. But actually, what she really, I think, was saying, and what the people behind her got, and they must be working overtime, is what a rotten mess has been made of the Constitution, particularly by David Cameron, in order to secure the coalition with the Five-Year Parliament Act, because nobody knows who actually trumps the ace in the end with that. At what point can you say you, you go on? And I don't think Boris Johnson... Uh, does, but it's a man totally unelected, but who's becoming far too overexposed now. Dominic Cummings, his de facto chief of staff, who seems to be making all the rules of the game at the moment. Well, this is where Peter Hennessy, uh, who's a um, constitutional historian, stepped in a couple of days ago to say, well, essentially, we run on this sort of set of rules and conventions, which is uh, the, the basic theory is, and again, sorry to foreign listeners here, it's basically cr cricket. It's how you conduct yourself with good manners. And the breach will happen with those breaches of convention, with those breaches of good manners that are going to happen. The question is, you know, will the Queen defend those manners over Cummings and Johnson? Uh, we're going to move off the subject of Brexit shortly. But before we do that, I, I will wrap up this conversation which, which, with what has become my standard Brexit conversation closer, uh, which is to ask you each both briefly for your answer. November 1st, Robert, are we going to be still in the EU at that point or out? I suspect now, now that we're going to be out, nothing to do with Boris Johnson. It's a complete and utter failure in constitutional and party terms 
of one Jeremy Corbyn, who looks as if he is going to sit on his arse from now <laughs> until the 1st of November. Uh, Joy, uh, in um, out. Um, I have a hunch we are going to be in, and a hunch that we may be in with an emergency, not necessarily a formal government of national unity, but an emergency government that will uh, ask for an extension um, on the basis, and it will be chosen on the basis it will be calling an election. Robert Fox and Joy Ladico, thank you for the moment. We will be back shortly. But first, here is Monocle's Daniel Bache with some of the other stories we're following today. Thank you, Andrew. Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan has accused India of planning military action in the disputed Kashmir region, long a flashpoint between the two nuclear-armed neighbours. Khan marked his country's Independence Day by visiting Pakistan-administered Kashmir, where he gave an impassioned speech at the regional parliament. The Himalayan region has been in turmoil since India issued a decree last week announcing an end to its special status. Pakistan called for an emergency UN session yesterday to look into India's actions. Russia's weather service says radiation levels near the site of a deadly rocket explosion in Russia's far north have spiked 16 times above normal. The explosion happened off the coast at a military facility in the White Sea last Thursday. Five scientists were killed, according to Russia's state nuclear agency, which said a nuclear-powered engine was being tested. Indonesia's President Joko Widodo says he will announce his new cabinet in the coming weeks. Mr. Widodo's second presidential term officially begins in October, and he wants more than half of the cabinet's 34 seats to be occupied by people who aren't politicians. And American rapper ASAP Rocky has been found guilty of assault relating to a fight in Stockholm at the end of June. The 30-year-old rapper, real name Rakeem Myers, has been handed a two-year suspended sentence and has also been ordered to pay damages to the victim. He spent nearly a month in custody after the assault but was released ahead of the verdict and continued to perform. The bizarre case even piqued the interest of President Donald Trump, who spoke to Sweden's prime minister and offered to post the rapper's bail. Two members of ASAP Rocky's entourage were found guilty of the same charge. They'll all skip jail if they avoid committing any further crimes during a two-year probation period. Those are some of the headlines we're following. Now back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Daniel. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Andrew Muller here with Joy Ladico and Robert Fox. Uh, and let's look at Hong Kong now. As we go to air, flights have resumed from Hong Kong airport after days of cancellations forced by the occupation of the premises by protesters. Those demonstrations now in their 11th week seem likely to continue, however, as does the nervous wait to see whether or not Beijing will take decisive action to stop them. Yesterday, US President Donald Trump took time out of his busy schedule of whining about what's on television to announce that he'd been told that China was moving troops to the border with Hong Kong. He also complained that many, although he didn't name any, were blaming him for the situation. Um, Robert, does China still seem set on waiting this out? Yes, uh, I think the stakes are so high. The imagery, as we know, of Tiananmen Square in 1989 is, is far too strong. Um, as on, on a, previous, a previous occasion where we were talking to Isabel Hilton, who is a real expert on matters sinological, um, really looking at it in depth and said the real change between 1989 now is social media. And social media and the internet, however hard Beijing, and it's a pretty hard regime, 
tries. They can't shut it down. And this is where they really are caught, because the longer this goes on, it percolates into the information water table right across educated China. And there are a lot of educated China at the moment. Isabel was predicting, and she's the first that I've heard uh, mention this, that they are really scared that the whole underpinning of the regime may not uh, sustain this one. Where the West, I think, has gone wrong, and the commentariat, including myself, is that they have sort of, I would almost want a George Bushism here, misunderestimated the importance of it. Everybody said, you know, Shanghai is really the commercial, uh, you know, a lot of the commercial center of gravity that was in Hong Kong has gone there, so it doesn't matter. Doesn't seem to be quite so. We're at a very delicate point because it looks as if in PR, uh, the wiser heads and the demonstrators feel that they may have misplayed or overplayed their hand with the with, with, with the airport because that's annoying and disrupting the kind of people whose support they want. As a general rule, Joy, where, where is the balance if you're running large-scale demonstrations between making of enough of a fuss to, I, I guess, attract public sympathy and, as Robert suggests, just starting to annoy people and therefore losing their sympathy? Well, I mean, if, if your objective is to get the world's eyes on you, the protests have been running for 11 weeks and they keep popping up in the news, but intermittently. This one was front-page news. It was lead story on the BBC. Uh, so you are beginning to draw that kind of... The, the, you're engaging all the foreign governments who have an interest in the stability of Hong Kong. In terms of upsetting people, I don't know, I was reading an article, the South China Morning Post said there had been a number of uh, applicants of ultra high net worth people who were now talking about <laughs> moving to the US. But, you know, not unlike you know, Brexit in the UK, often you think, well, the ultra high net worth are going to move anyway. There is, in fact, a kind of territorial and identity an integrity to that within Hong Kong itself, and I would think that um, the population is largely behind it if being if they feel they're being uh, aggressed against. By uh, China. On that subject, Robert, of people leaving Hong Hong Kong here in the UK, Tom Tugendhat MP, who's the Conservative Chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, says the UK should give Hong Kong citizens full UK nationality, and indeed that this should have been done at the handover in 1997. Is is that an idea worth pursuing? It's one that comes up, and it's absolutely typical of that family, uh, both of, of Tom and uh, his uncle, Chris uh, Tugendhat, and his father, who was a judge. Very fair, but also very straight about history and what it means. It is the argument that was brought forward, you may remember, at the time of the boat people, too, which actually... Um, Inequality. I mean, this is where you know Trumpism and Borisism, and particularly Theresa May's obsession with immigration, was absolutely wrong. We, we were terrific net beneficiaries of it. If Commonwealth citizenship means anything, and that's what Tom is saying, then yes, it should be considered. Okay. Well, finally, on our news wrap, with the weary sigh now familiar at such junctures, let's look at Trumpistan, where one of the president's appointees has offered an interesting new interpretation of one of the United States' best known and most admired mission statements. Emma Lazarus's poem, The New Colossus, affixed to the Statue of Liberty, is best known for its lines about give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, etc. Acting Director of US Citizenship and Immigration Services Ken Cuccinelli suggested that it should only apply to those tired and poor who could stand somehow on their own soggy, socked feet. Uh, speaking to CNN, Cuccinelli did attempt to clarify his comments. Well, of course, that poem was referring back to people coming from Europe where they had class-based societies 
where people were considered wretched if they weren't in the right class. And it was introduced, it was written one year, one year after the first federal public charge rule was written that says, and I'll quote it, any person unable to take care of himself without becoming a public charge, unquote, would be inadmissible or in the terms that my agency deals with, uh, they can't do what's called adjusting status, getting a green card, becoming legal permanent residents. Uh, Joy, is it possible to read too much into his clarification that that poem referred to people coming from Europe? Well, Ken Cuccinelli, um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't looked up his history, but perhaps a diligent journalist could. But my hunch would be that uh, he is one of the wave of Italian immigrants will have, which, who will have come around 1910, 1920 from an impoverished land, pretty wretched, um, good luck if they had some shoes, and arrived um, at, in America to be welcomed in because, not because they could, at the point they're on the boat, they could stand on their own two feet, but because once they got to the US, you are given the ability to do those things. The other thing that Cuccinelli is kind of, is um, in a sense lying about or obfuscating is the fact that you actually, if you're undocumented, if you haven't been accepted, you can't claim these security, these social security benefits or Medicaid anyway. So there is already a baseline as to what you can do to get into the US. Um Robert, if we detach what he's talking about from the person who's saying it, and he's talking about a a public charge policy that will limit legal migrants uh, from seeking some public benefits, uh, is that actually an altogether bad idea? I ask because that's pretty much the conditions uh, on which I was permitted to first settle in the United Kingdom as a Commonwealth passport holder. I was here originally on a self-employed person's visa, the conditions of which were, um, you've got a couple of years to try and set yourself up and good luck to you, but you have absolutely no recourse whatsoever to the public purse. Well, to Signor Cuccinelli and uh, Signor Lodico, I would like to say to you, non serve per niente, <laughs> in the long row. It, yeah, that's all fine. It, you're part of the May obsession and repeated Home Secretaries. Looking at the long term, this is absolute drivel. You know, it is... It is um, Cuccinelli, which is so strange, he is quite a reason. I think he's second generation. Uh, I, I was looking that up. As you say, the conditions in which the great wave happened from Italy, the great year, by, incidentally, uh, for Trivial Pursuit was 1913, where over a million, it was 1.1, 1.2 million Italians left for the New World, left uh, for uh, uh, America, North and, North, North and South. What we're going to face with, with ageing populations, with imbalances in global population, changes within populations and then movement with the catalyst of environmental change is absolutely huge. And this is a man actually, or the little boy sticking his finger in the dike, if I could use that expression, as the Dutch would say, or, or, or Nero allegedly fiddling while Rome is burning, because... Migration is such a huge problem, and you can't do it by using nitpicking uh, district attorney uh, legalisms on it, which he seems to be doing. But the other point is that immigration in the US is not at some sort of all-time high. No. It's at, it's at this, it has this inflow of about something like they, they classify about 13% of people as immigrants, many of whom have been there for you know 20 years, 30 years. And those peaks were reached between 1910 and 1930. They were reached in the 1980s. And they're approaching that again now. But it's not a kind of unusually high flow of people. And the other point about the US, obviously, is it has rather more space than uh, Europe. 
The problem is with this is it is where where we were with Cummings and the Remain Party as it is now becoming. This is nativism. Uh, if you look at Cuccinelli's uh, career, he supported Ted Cruz. He was quite liberal. He castigated Trump for his Trumpisms. Trump on the stump. Trump as the uh, uh, as the fox hero and 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 the game show host. And, but this is what is what is going on. It is actually a witch word. It is signalling to the faithful. And as you rightly say, it barely resembles real contact with the realities of what, of, of what is going on with this problem. It is a problem as to how we do it and how we treat people reasonably. But to turn it into this sort of uh, run the flag up the, uh, 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 up the racist flagpole and see whether we can get away with it, uh, which is going on so strongly, goes on in Germany, but it's acute now in the UK currently. Uh, the Boris Johnson government will, will sink or swim on, on it. Um, I think this is the worrying thing, and this is yet another symptom. And for us, I mean, for, for, for the Chatterati, it looks absolutely ludicrous, but I'll bet in the heart of Trump land, in flyover America, it probably goes down quite big. Yeah, but the question is, who is going to build that wall if it's not good immigrant labour? Absolutely. Robert Fox and Joy Ladico, thank you. In a moment, the latest view from the editorial floor at Monocle and a look at Bauhaus and its many imitators who are forgetting the principles as they flog their products. You're listening to Monocle's House View. Stay tuned. Tired of seeing the same few tedious tourist haunts? Well, the Monocle Travel Guide series has stopped off in 30-plus cities and counting in order to dispense advice on travelling like a local. From the finest spot in which to sip a cocktail with a contact, work up a sweat, or take a dip, our comprehensive travel guide series are packed with tips, essays, and tidbits for getting the very best from your destination. Monocle's Travel Guide series is published by Gestalten, the Monocle Travel Guide series. Cities are fun. Let's explore. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Andrew Muller. You might already be a subscriber to the Monocle Minute, our daily mail-out of top stories in global affairs, business, culture and more. But this week, you can listen to it as well. A new audio version of the Monocle Minute arrives daily at 6am London time. The third edition should already be with subscribers. For a preview of today's edition, we're looking at Bauhaus, the German art and design movement, which has inspired a century of imitators. Here is Monocle's design editor, Nolan Giles, with more. Bauhaus is being celebrated in 2019. 100 years after the influential German school was inaugurated, Bauhaus Inspired has become the moniker that everyone from Swiss watchmakers to LA-based fashion designers are using to flog products. But most efforts to mimic the movement that affected the design of everything, from teapots to housing, has fallen short, being steeped either in nostalgia or obvious salesmanship. This is why it's refreshing to see a project like The Growing House, a construction finished this week by students and tutors from the Department of Architectural Theory and Design at Cassell University in Germany. Taken from a concept devised by Bauhaus teacher Ludwig Hibbelsheimer, Growing House is a modular housing system which allows inhabitants to add on new sections of their home as their family expands. Those keen to ape the principles of Bauhaus would do well to remember that the movement was more about finding simple solutions to complex problems than about shifting products. 
For Monocle, I'm Nolan Giles. Thank you, Nolan. A comment there from today's edition of the Monocle Minute. You can, of course, access the Monocle Minute from our website or wherever you get your podcasts. That is all for today's show. Monocle's House View was produced by Daniel Bache and researched by Yolin Goffan and Charlie Phil McCourt. Our studio managers were David Stevens and Steph Chongu. Coming up at 1900, a brand new edition of The Entrepreneurs. Daniel is your host for that as well. And Monocle's House View returns at 1800 London time tomorrow. I'm Andrew Muller. Thanks for listening.